So yeah, the beginning of Acts chapter 4, we, we kind of hit the, at the tail end of, of going through chapter 3 and the beginning of 4, and what was the response to what happened in chapter 3. Remember, chapter 3 was kind of just, you know, we said it was an ordinary day. The end of chapter 2 was what, what, the, what the church, how they regularly met together, how they came together for prayer, um, how they came together to eat together, how they, they studied together. Uh, all these things was kind of what church life looked like. And then chapter 3 was just kind of a day where, where Peter and John were headed to the temple to, to probably meet some others. Um, they, they passed by a guy who had begged for, um, we'll, we'll see, 40 years uh, probably. He had this illness and, and uh, sickness and that he was always dropped off to, to beg for money uh, because he couldn't work on his own. And they healed him. They looked at him and they said, we, can't, we're not gonna, we don't have gold or silver to give you. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. So stand up and walk. And the guy stood up and walked and was like changed instantly. You know, something that his routine was changed forever. Their routine was changed forever. Uh, because we see that as they're making their way to the courtyard to meet some others, uh, actually we don't know who they're meeting or what they're meeting, but we're kind of surmising that since they gathered together at the temple, that it's probably likely that Peter and John were headed to to uh, um, to a place where we find later that that some of the believers would meet, um, that a crowd is gathering. They see this guy healed, and the crowd is gathered, and they're like, "What's going on?" And you know, how did this happen? This guy's been you know begging for years, um, and now he's walking. We've never seen him do that, and so they wanted to know. And Peter and John, uh, Peter specifically, told them, you know, it was because of Jesus Christ that his faith in Jesus Christ is how that you are saved, and it's through that healing power that this man was saved. Well, a crowd is gathering in the temple courtyard, and uh, it causes not only like you know, passerbys to want to hear what's going on, but also those that are in charge. You know, if, if a crowd starts gathering, um, if you're just kind of a normal person, kind of going about your daily business, you're kind of attracted to see, like, well, what's going on? If you're in charge of uh, that organization or charge of the grounds there, you want to make sure that everything is okay. So it attracted the leadership um, there on the temple grounds to find out what's the stir, what's the commotion, is this something we need to take care of? And uh, we find that it also attracts those that didn't want to hear the message, but actually wanted to put a stop to the message. And that's really what we're going to look at today, is uh, trying to stop the gospel, is, is what we see our focus on in chapter 4. Um, so kind of maybe to get our minds around this and to think about this, you know, sometimes things that are kind of not, not necessarily related, but somewhat related. But uh, I just wanted to ask, has anyone ever been told not to share their faith? Like you ever had an encounter where somebody, you know, you were sharing your faith and somebody said, hey, listen, you know, not here, not now, not under these circumstances. You've had that happen? Okay. You've had that happen? Okay. At your aunt's funeral. What's that? Your mom asked you, like beforehand? Like at the graveside. I was set up to do it. She changed her mind. Okay. Okay. So I had to switch what I did. I just read the Bible. Okay. Which worked. So she let you read the Bible, but didn't want you to share right. your faith. Okay, good. Okay, well, you know that's that's the Holy Spirit working with you, wisdom on, on how to how to handle that situation. Eric, you said you've had that situation. Okay. Church and 
Yeah. What, I mean, what, 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 what happens? I mean, so um, on one surface, like why do people feel threatened about sharing when, pe- when you share your faith? Like why do you think people want to put a stop to that? What's that? They don't want to feel the guilt. They don't want to feel the emotion. Okay. Yeah, certainly true. Some people don't, don't, want, to he- you know, don't want to hear it. Don't want to, you know, we, we like to live in a comfortable sort of safe zone. Uh, there's certain things that, you know, if we step back and think, like, you know, we, we don't want to really think about um, things that, that are, are serious. I mean, you know, we live in a sanitized world in America. I always, I always tell the kids that I teach, you know, we don't, we don't know how our food gets to us. Like, we don't want to even think about that sometimes, right? Uh, that there is a, a uh, sometimes um, a process, right, that is, confronts us with the reality of, of how those things happen, and the same thing spiritually, right? We, we know a lot of times we just want to be numb as Americans. When I say, when I say that as, as Americans, we just kind of want to go along. We don't want to cause a stir. We just want to make sure everything stays within our comfort zone. But does Jesus allow that? Does Jesus allow us to stay in our comfort zone? No, because there's, tr- there's realities about, you know, you're either following Christ and you will be with him forever in glory, or you are not, and then you'll be away from him, right, in punishment. And so we don't like to take those steps and reach those logical ends, and so there are, there are things that, that happen. Um, stir, you know, things are stirred up when you start talking about religion. Just like some people say, let's not talk about politics, but Jesus is the same way. And we see that exactly happening. If we want to maybe sympathize uh, with with the characters, the people that we'll see, you know, they're not fictional, but the people that we see uh, that are amongst this group, we can understand that uh, Jesus causes um, causes people to um, make changes, right? And some some either for the for the better, or unfortunately some for the worse. And so the leaders that are attracted is what we're going to see. Um, try to put a stop to that. Try to put a stop to that. So chapter 4, verse 1, says, As they were speaking to the people, and we read these first four verses last week, as they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, we hear of Peter's words in chapter 3, the priests and the um, captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So we kind of touched on at the end of last week that the response of the message, it says that many accepted. And that, um, you know, just maybe several weeks ago, uh, in, in when this occurs in Acts, uh, at the Pentecost, there was um, about 120 believers. At one time, it was, was said that they were up in an upper room praying in chapter 1. At the end of Peter's message of Pentecost, it came to 3,000. 3,000 were added to the church that day. Now, we've got, you know, people are coming to faith because of, of this expanding church, and we have 5,000 men, which doesn't include uh, women, um, at this time. And so the church is, is growing, the people are responding to um, to the message of Jesus Christ, that they, they have now realized, these Jews, that they crucified uh, the one, the Messiah that God had sent, and they are 
uh, responding to follow Jesus. And so we see that positive message. But now, in the first three verses, we see those that, that aren't responding in the same way. And all through Jesus' ministry, people responded similarly, where they rejected Jesus. And unfortunately, you know, uh, if we step back and say, well, how successful was Jesus in his ministry? Um, if we just did it numerically, he wasn't that successful at all, right? Crowds gathered and swelled, but le- a lot of people just turned away. They just weren't ready to hear the message, the things, again, the things that he said put them in a position where they're like, ah, you know, I, I don't know, that's going to upset a lot of a lot of things in my life. I have to give up a lot of things that I'm used to if I want to follow you, Jesus. And they just weren't ready for that. And so, again, at the end, where there, he had thousands of people, you know, feeding 5,000, and it was just men too. And, and so there's sometimes thought that there's 20,000 people that Jesus fed. Um, when you have those crowds that gathered around, uh, that listened to what he said, and at the end, after his death, only 100 people. I mean, that's statistically a very small percentage of those who heard his message. But now, you know, those people who maybe had followed him at one point and turned away are now starting to realize the gravity. And again, if we look at our own lives, it may not be the first time that somebody's told us about Jesus that we were like, yes, you know, I need Jesus. Uh, it was probably several things because the first time you heard about Jesus, you're like, I, I don't know, I'm not ready. Like, I need to think about this. Unfortunately, for God's patience, right? God is a patient God that he's like, listen, I'm going to give you your time. I, you're, you're marked out, you're mine, um, but uh, you will come to me. And so we see, though, that there are those that reject the message of Christ. And so um, we always have one of two reactions. You either say yes or you say no. And it could be like, well, not at this time, or I don't, you know, I don't know. But it's either a yes or no, right? You either accept or not. And, and if you're a salesman, you know that. I remember... I worked in sales for a couple years, and it's like, even like, let me think about it is a no, right? Because <laughs> um, as a salesperson, right, yeah, that's, that's what you rely on, the yes, but if not, then it's like, okay, it's not a yes yet. And it's the same thing with Jesus Christ. Um, not that it's uh, something to be sold, but right, the rejection of that message. And so there's always a, one of those two reactions, and we're seeing what that, that reaction is. Now, who are the people that were there? It says the priests uh, were one group of people. Those are the people that were in the line of Aaron. Uh, you can go back to um, in the Old Testament and read about that in, uh, uh, in Numbers and um, you know, back in Leviticus and uh, who the priests were. But really, they, they ran the temple. So where were these? Where was Peter and the crowd? They were in the temple, and so that's where the workers were, right? If there was a big crowd that came over, it would be like, and the pastors came over to check out what was going on, right? So the priests were the people who were in charge to make sure that everything was running okay, and when a crowd swells up and gathers um, to hear somebody talking, uh, it's going to gain the attention of the leadership that are there. And so the priests were there at hand. Uh, we see the captain of the temple was there. Um, depending on uh, version, does any, any versions have the captain of the temple guard? Is that word guard added in there yeah. for any of you guys? Okay. So maybe the ESV it just doesn't say guard, but, but um, from other places uh, you read in Scripture um, is that a captain of the temple was, you know, you have the high priest that was in charge of the priest, and so as far as the religious class goes, that, that would have been, he was, his name wasn't the captain. So captain was a... Um, uh, was kind of a, an order or a police kind of terminology that they had ascribed to this person. And so the captain of the temple or the temple guard would have been the one that would have kept to make sure that everything was um, you know, going orderly and smoothly. He probably would have, and we, although we don't see uh, 
his name mentioned when Jesus like overturned the tables in the temple, he probably would have been called upon like, you know, hey, you know, somebody came and you know, overturned the, the money uh, tables uh, when Jesus was around. And so this captain of the temple would have been the person that was the captain of the temple early on. And we see some of these people will be, will be mentioned uh, early on in Scripture, and we'll get to that in a second. So like, likely the head of the, the temple guard, um, the Romans, uh, even though they were the military force, they allowed um, them to police themselves. Just like, you know, even uh, in any organization, any organization can hire their own security, even though police are uh, in charge of what goes on in a municipality, but any private venture can hire certainly their own security. And so the temple guard would have had their own security. Part of it, too, is Gentiles weren't allowed in certain areas, and so the temple guard would have been Jews that would have been able to be in those areas um, and also to, you know, uh, be an authority presence there. And so they were attracted to a crowd that was there, and they, the captain of that, uh, of that guard was um, attracted as well. And we see a third kind of group mentioned or person mentioned is the Sadducees. They were an influential Jewish sect um, who did not believe, and you see kind of interestingly that it, it, anytime you see the Sadducees, um, that you always see another thing that is attached with that. You know, here it says um, that they were, you know, the Sadducees were pulled in, verse 2, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees almost always, especially in Acts, are connected with this idea about the resurrection. They believed only in the first five books of, uh, of the Bible, which uh, were the Pentateuch or Moses' teachings. Um, and so they didn't believe in some other, uh, even though certain things are mentioned in the Pentateuch, they didn't believe in the supernatural. And so you see some of that when uh, they're called upon, why some of the issues that they have. They didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead, um, and they didn't believe in angels. And so other things that, that were maybe explained, they would have been kind of more of the grounded liberal wing of, if you can't explain it on how it happens here on earth, um, it probably didn't happen. And so that was another group that was attracted, but they had a lot of power, they had a lot of influence, And they're going to be part of this other group, and we'll talk about that in a second. And so some of those that were around the temple were pulled over and and heard what was going on. And it says that they were greatly annoyed. Uh, This word is pained through. The root word is like having a pain uh, or some sort of uh, ailment. And uh, with a a prefix, that means through. So they were pained through. It's like just hurt them uh, to hear what was being said. Right? If, you, know, you probably thought if, if somebody had said, hey, listen, you know, can't talk about Jesus or whatever, um, that this word greatly annoyed or like there's a, an idea that um, there is a great discomfort <laughs> that uh, is brought up by what Peter was saying. And so because of that, you know, this, this commotion that's happening, this annoyance or again, this uh, pain that they're feeling about what is being said by Peter, um, is something that they feel like they need to stop. And that's what they do. So this kind of first four verses, we see that they, they try to put a stop to the gospel. It says that they put them in custody until the next day. 
They put him in custody until the next day because it was evening um, that, you know, we saw that when they came together that it was uh, around 3 o'clock, and so it was becoming late afternoon, um, closer to the evening. Trials didn't happen. Uh, if they were going to put them in custody, they usually had every single day, um, a, they would have a court session. We'll talk about it in just a second. Um, but those didn't happen until the daytime. And so they put them in custody, kind of arrested them. The temple guard was there to make sure that they could, you know, take them. Um, and then they would put them in trial for the next day for causing a stir and causing a commotion. This was typical. You're going to see this happen when Paul goes to do even Gentile cities, um, that whenever a crowd happens and, and almost, you know, sometimes there's pushback, uh, they usually, you know, uh, arrest people, and then they try to deal with them the next day. Trials didn't happen, happen during the daytime or during night, which is kind of interesting when you see that Jesus is arrested in one of the big travesties that happened. Remember, Jesus was arrested at nighttime, and that he was taken to the high priest's uh, house. They mocked him. They started ask, making accusations against him. And so this was a, um, you know, should have been thrown out you know, as a kind of a mistrial because they were starting to try to uh, lay judgment upon him instead of holding him in custody and waiting until the next day until they could actually have um, the true trial. And so uh, you can read about that uh, back in the Gospels. And so these first few, few verses as a reaction to this gospel, to the fact that Jesus had come, that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you will be saved, you will be healed, um, maybe physically like this man right here, but you will be healed spiritually. Like That is the message that was said, and these guys said no. Jesus encountered it the whole, all the time, right? He'd go and he'd heal somebody, and the Pharisees would be like, what are you doing healing somebody? And he's like, what do you, what do you mean, what am I doing healing somebody? I'm like, I'm like giving this gift of physical um, restitution to this person who's got either a withered hand or has been you know, bleeding for years or whatever it was. Why do you have a problem with that? And they were trying to say, well, we're supposed to do things in a certain way. And he's like, listen, you've got, you've got the way that God set you know, uh, up, uh, how he acts and how he um, uh, relates to his people, you've got that totally warped and misunderstood. And so Jesus had to kind of keep, keep pushing back because they didn't want them, want him to help others. And so next we see in verses 5 through 12 that they kind of take a different tack. So they put a stop to it, arrest Peter and John, and we see the, the, the beggar, he's actually put into custody as well. And um, then they take a different tact, is that they try to demean and belittle the gospel. That's what we see in verses 5 through 12. Verse 5 says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Okay, so it says the rulers and elders and scribes, um, this would have made up, which would have been, and, and so this is kind of like the maybe positions, but they would have also been made up of different um, political groups or uh, religious groups, sex being the Sadducees, that powerful, influential group who uh, didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, some, you know, if you kind of to try to remember that, some say it's Sadducee, 
because they don't really believe in the resurrection as kind of a way to remember that. They would contrast another political group, the Pharisees, whom Jesus encountered all the time through his ministry. And the Pharisees were kind of on another more conservative aspect who believed in the resurrection. And we'll actually see Paul use this as a way to get them to fight amongst each other. But you're going to have to wait until closer to like Acts 20 for that. Um, but they would have made up uh, this group that would have met on a daily basis to, uh, to, to listen and to hear certain cases and rule and, and make judgment on certain things. It was called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. Uh, it was made up of 71 members. Uh, typically, all 71 didn't meet. That would have been only for special cases. Uh, but you only needed 23 to convene. And so during Herod's rule... Uh, they would have met every day in a particular place inside the temple uh, to hear different different things. And they're just picking up what uh, Moses was told by his father-in-law, Jethro, um, when he was trying to take care of everyone's you know, issues. Uh, his father-in-law said, you need to appoint judges to hear out people's cases. And so the Sanhedrin, is, it was something that was uh, taken up in this line. Uh, so the Sanhedrin met together, which was consisted of the rulers and elders and scribes uh, in Jerusalem. So this is consistent with, with you know, what we know historically what happened. It says that Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas. So Annas, Annas um, which is always interesting because, because Annas was not uh, the high priest at that time. It was actually Caiaphas. Um, Annas uh, was the high priest that was um, appointed by Herod. It was, you know, again, remember we have the Roman Empire, that is the authority that is in control, but they often allowed local governments to rule to kind of keep the peace. Like the Roman government saw, especially for the Jews, that to have somebody kind of as a figurehead, as a leader that they could maybe identify with, um, because to hear, you know, listen to a Gentile, um, even though they had, you know, the, the people had to in certain cases, they had to listen to the, the Gentile soldiers uh, in certain cases. But if they had a local government, that um, there were certain uh, things that they could maybe adhere to a little better. And, and knowing that Herod was uh, partially Jewish, that's a, another another story. Um, that he would uh, at least be on their side in, in a lot of different cases. And so it was up to Herod to appoint the high priest. And so uh, Herod in um, 86, so 86, um, appointed uh, Annas to be high priest. He ruled for nine years until 8015, when uh, the governor who was previous to Pilate um, decided to have him removed. That Annas was having a little bit too much influence, a little bit too much power. And so the governor before Pilate said, you know, listen, uh, you need to be removed. It was up to Herod, though, to uh, appoint somebody else. And he appoints over the next, you know, however many years, we find out that uh, five of Annas's sons are appointed as high priests. You know, they were put in power and then they were removed, put in power and they were removed. And so... We're now at Caiaphas, who is Annas's daughter's husband. So Annas's son-in-law is Caiaphas. He was appointed as high priest, and he actually was high priest from AD 18 to 36. So even though Caiaphas is the high priest, um, it says Annas is the high priest because he was often the one that was associated with most of the power. You know, Caiaphas was in charge, 
But if Annas was there, it was probably Caiaphas looking at Annas, like, right? We're doing, you know, we're, <laughs> is this how we want to work? And so Annas was the one who, who was typically pulling the strings in a lot of cases. And we see the same thing happen when Jesus was tried, that Annas and Caiaphas were both there. Um, two of the men that were mentioned, John and Alexander, unknown exactly who they were, but one of Annas's sons was named Jonathan, who was a high priest. Um, he later replaced Caiaphas in A.D. 36. It's possible that he is this John and Alexander, not exactly sure. But it says the whole high priestly family was there. Why do you think that's the case? Was it kind of like the whole tribe of Levi? Just kind of like, I mean, they kind of stick together because they're all going to be in order for the high priest. Yeah, I mean, it could be, it could be. But again, as we think about timelines and how things happen, it would have only been a couple months earlier that this Jesus, whom they were proclaiming, was at their, you know, yeah, at their house, uh, this kind of trial happened at the middle of the night, and then they did the Sanhedrin did meet, and then uh, turned him over to uh, to Pilate, um, and that whole thing happened, right? Uh, that they would have been intimately involved in during that time, and so they're maybe sensing great, you know, that Peter, you know, I, I don't know if they would have made those connections um, because remember what was Peter's role that night. You know, they'd ask, like, hey, aren't you with him? And Peter did what? Denied. He denied him, right? And so I don't know if necessarily because, you know, those that deny or, or aren't major figureheads, he probably would have been like, well, isn't he around with them? Um, who knows? He might have just been somebody who's a small, small person. So I don't know if Annas and Caiaphas would have kind of necessarily known. But now Peter is starting to become somebody who is known. Um, you know, he spoke at Pentecost. Um, he is speaking here, right? He's the one that's being arrested. He's proclaiming Jesus. And so uh, they're sensing this fact like, uh-oh, this is happening again. Um, where we try to put a stop to it with Jesus, and we thought we had him killed, and it would just go away, but it's not going away. And so we need to do something else to put a stop to all these people that are coming to Christ uh, that are, you know, basically now rejecting the temple, um, that are leaving our level of influence, right? Because if you follow Jesus, you no longer follow the high priests. And so they're sensing that these things need to happen. So they probably want to be there and make sure that this trial goes right, uh, or at least, you know, that the right decisions are made, because this could have huge impacts for the future, and so when they set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So they want to know what, by what power. Um, there's two, you know, if somebody is going to be healed, what would they attribute probably one of two sources of that power? One would be what? God. And the other one would be? Satan. Remember that Jesus was accused, right, of healing somebody by the power of Satan. And you know, Jesus said, that's ridiculous, right? If I heal by power, Satan's power, I'm actually undoing what Satan's trying to do by giving glory to God, right? And he says, you know, a house divided cannot stand, you know, that, that terminology that was there. And so they say, well, what power do you do these things? They want to hear from them what they said. So they want to know who. Is it by God or is it by Satan? And so Peter, verse 8, says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter again uses that opportunity, just as he has used in the past, that that the Lord has given him the words to speak at the right time to speak about Christ. And again, same thing at the message. He said the same thing to the crowd that, hey, listen, you crucified Jesus. Again, like, I want to make sure that you're clear that there is guilt hanging over you, right? That you rejected God's servant. And so I want you to make sure that you understand that there is guilt upon you at this time if you continue in that, right? That's why people don't want to hear about Jesus. Because we talk about Jesus, it's not like, hey, uh, follow Jesus. We have a really great church. And we talk about stories, you know, that are pretty miraculous. And it's, you know, it's great. And we have a great community. And, you know, we sing songs and it's really great, right? You know, it's not like just the positive event. Like the whole thing, right, to follow Jesus is the fact that, yeah, but... The reason that we love Jesus and the reason that we have this community and the reason that we sing songs about Christ and we talk about the miraculous things that God does is because the greatest miracle is the fact that when we are standing in judgment because we reject God in everything we do until Jesus Christ pays the price for our sins. Right? If, we, if that conversation never happens, and sometimes you know, some of us may have grown up in those churches where those things were just never said. Right? And, and I mean, I... I Went to different churches and maybe like I got pieces of the gospel. And all of a sudden, I remember going to a church that um, kind of like pulled in everything. Like the Bible was just little bits and pieces to me. It was like if you want a story about you know uh, trusting in God, go to Daniel and you know he trusted in God and God saved him and you know go here and there. But all of a sudden, like you know when you start seeing like everything from Genesis to Revelation is just pointing to pointing to Jesus Christ or reflecting back on Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ was a part of that plan of salvation from beginning to end, and how God worked in different ways all throughout history, and that's what we're seeing just here in Acts, that it becomes just amazing that little old me is in there, and that we just thank God that He did He, he would redeem us, because we, we didn't want anything to do with God before Jesus Christ. And so that's like that, that's what we see here. And so Peter is given this opportunity and says, listen, you crucified him. He's, he's, he's speaking to all the powerful people. It's like standing before the Senate, before the Supreme Court, before the President. I know they're all there. And he's saying, like, you are guilty, right? I mean, think of the boldness that Peter, like, he's like, I got nothing to lose, right? I lost Jesus once, and then he came back. I thought he was gone. Like, listen, I got nothing else. Um, and so Jesus is gone, and, and he's given me this mandate to, uh, to preach his word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it. So, so we see a clear message about who Jesus Christ is. Again, right, that Jesus Christ was crucified, right? He did die. So that was one component that's necessary, that Jesus died for our sins to pay for the price of our sins, but he was also resurrected. Again, going back to what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if the resurrection never happened, our faith is foolishness, right? Because Jesus proved that he has power over death and that we too 
will have eternal life. If he didn't prove that, if he didn't show that, then we're just hoping, right? We're just, you know, I think it'll happen. But Jesus, no, demonstrated that that is possible and the promises he made will be fulfilled. And so he says, if you want to know how this guy's healed, let me tell you. It's by this Jesus Christ, and he, gives, he has his boldness to preach that, right? Um, the amazing thing is, is that Jesus predicted that the Peter and the apostles would stand before authorities and that the Holy Spirit would give him words to speak. You read that in Luke 12. And we see that happening right here. And so now they want to silence the gospel because they're like, you know, by what power do you do these things? And so they just want to kind of dismiss uh, what Peter is saying. We're going to see a little bit that in a second as well. He says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they were uneducated common men. They're now starting the, some of the for some of them, like the dots are starting to connect, like, ooh, these guys, these guys are the ones that, that were with Jesus, because all of Jesus' men that were with him were just common, uneducated men. Right? And if we put a stop to Jesus. You know, they aren't powerful, they don't have money, they don't have wealth. You know, without Jesus, these guys will be nothing. And we see that that's not the case. And so they understand, they try to dismiss them, right? Yeah, you don't know anything. You're just, you know, you're just, you're not educated. Um, you know, what, what possibly could you know? How possibly could you be of any service? Does that still happen today? Does anyone hear, like, you know, what the message that Christians say and just say, like, oh, you just believe things that, you know, prehistoric things. Things that maybe were good when times were before we had electricity and, and really understood things, you know, how they really work, how we understand the human body and how chemistry and physics and all these things work. But now we just don't need God, right? We don't need God anymore. And so they're completely blind to the fact that, you know, this is not a physical how the world works on a fundamental, either microscopic or macroscopic level. It's a spiritual need that God has come to, to, um, to speak to and to redeem. And so these guys back then were just like, eh, doing things that we even hear today. Um, there was a term that I haven't heard it as, as much, but, you know, there, there's a group kind of like the neo-humanists that... Um, or this line of atheists that, um, uh, you know, just um, promote, because usually atheists don't really, or weren't really like outspoken. They believed what they believed. You know, Bertrand Russell in the early 1900s uh, was kind of one of the first to kind of like actually like maybe promote atheism as a, uh, as a worldview. Um, but about 10 years ago, you started seeing that crop up with Sam Harris and some other um, Dawkins and some other uh, scientists and, and philosophers and things like that. One of the terms, though, that they had for themselves were that they were the lights, right? And so those that believed in God were, you know, not the lights, but they were in darkness. And so that's, what, that's the kind of a way that they, they just kind of dismissed. If you believe in God, you're just in darkness. You just need to be educated and be in the light. And so they referred to themselves as, as the lights or enlightened ones. Um, and so we see that today, just as we see this, what was happening back then. Verse 14, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Okay? If it was just those two, Peter and John, 
just fishermen, right? Uneducated men. Again, this is kind of the amazing thing and how God is working. Um, that if you have an education given by Jesus, that's pretty pretty good education. And so that's all they had. All I know is what I've seen, what I've what I've followed. But that's the message that I'm going to share to you today. So you don't need a advanced degree in order to. Uh, share what Jesus has, has shared with you. And so they are standing there, and it'd be one thing just to be like, ah, they don't know what they're talking about, but who's standing right next to them is the guy who they would have passed on their way to the temple every day, who's now standing. And so they're like, we really can't, you know, these guys don't have any healing powers, they're not doctors, there's not anything, they're just fishermen, so there's nothing that we could say that they could rationally do that would actually have healed this guy so we were just kind of dumbfounded. And there he is standing there, right? And so uh, it says that, that uh, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they, they kind of said, all right, uh, step outside. We need to talk. And they're saying, well, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So, notable sign could also be translated as like a known miracle. It is something that is known. It is, it is clearly understood. So, a notable sign or miracle. It's proof standing before them. And so, it's evident also to all the people in Jerusalem. That's what they say. Not only to us, but to everybody in Jerusalem, this is out. Um, because all the people in Jerusalem would have gone up to the temple uh, at least the Jews, that's, and that's mainly all their concern is. So all those that, would, uh, that they're concerned about would have gone to the temple, they would have probably passed by this guy, going one, from one way or the other, um, have seen him, and now he's standing there, and it says, we can't deny this. We, we, there's nothing we can say. We can't you know, cover it up. You know, it's just out there, and we can't deny it. Verse 17, but in order that it may... Spread no further among the people. Right? That's, their, that's their motive. Their motive is now clear. Right? We do not want this to spread among the people. He says, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Right? They wanted to silence them. Wanted to say, listen, we can't deny what happened. We just don't want you to say anything about it. Why? I mean, a miracle happened, right? They said it, a notable sign, something that is known. Everybody knows it. They said it's by God. You know, they, they would be suspect about that in their minds. We can't deny what has happened. We just don't want you talking about it. Why? It's the same threat as Jesus. It's the threat on their Judaism. What, what, what is the threat to them? Control and power. Control and power. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a normal human reaction to want to hold on to what you have, right? It's a, it's a notable, and that's, that's usually why people are like, I, I, don't, I don't want you to mess with my, again, everything that's going well right now. And Jesus does that. And so, like, we just don't want you to tell anybody because people are starting to change their, their habits. They're not coming to the temple. You know, they're not giving offerings to the, to the temple. They're selling their stuff. Are they giving it to the temple? No, they're giving it to one another, right? Um, they're helping each other out. Humanity has gone wild. They're taking care of one another, right? They're, they're preaching God. They're, they're proclaiming God more. They're praising God more. They're having this strong, knit community. And they're like, we can't have this happening, right? 
And so, logically, they seem the ones who are uneducated, right? But it's, it's pressing in to their, their sense of power, their sense of uh, authority, their sense of entitlement. Because they were the ones who were educated. They spent their whole lives being groomed. They're in the line, if they're priests, they're in the line of Aaron. If they're a scribe, they would have been trained how to like, write and copy God's word. They would have, they would have you know, been able to say, like, that's my job every day. I write God's word. You know? and, and we can't have like, you messing up my, my job you know, again, my stature, like not everyone was born in the line of Aaron. Not everyone could be a priest. You had to be in this line, this pedigree. And so um, it would upset all of those things. And they're like, listen, we just can't have you talking about it. They tried to kill Jesus and to just like put him away. But they're like, that was a bad idea, right? Because he just came back and he got, you know, had and preached this message and, and, People were saved, and the temple curtain was torn in two. And again, they would have known these things. They would have known something happened that day. But again, their eyes weren't open to what Jesus uh, wanted for them in their lives. And so they said, I don't want you to speak anymore. And there's examples all through history, uh, whether it's in the church, like, listen, we want you to be silenced. And we'll talk about that in a second, Um, one particular example that this seems reminiscent of. But it says, verse 18, it says, They called them and charged them not to speak. So they said, they, they, they don't want to speak anymore. Bring them back in. They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Right? We're just going to, like, listen, you can't do this. In our, you know, as the Sanhedrin, we proclaim to you, you can speak no more of this. And for some people, you know, I mean, it, it becomes those situations, right, where, you know, you might have a job where, um, Again, you know, business places want to be like calm and orderly and like we're, our main function is doing the work at hand. And so sometimes there are times where it's like, listen, we don't want you to like, you know, talk about your faith during business hours, you know. And so it's kind of that balance that you have. Like I want to be respectful, you know, I want to have my job, um, but I also want to talk about Christ. And so, you know, it's, that's maybe for another, another topic, another discussion. How can I do that? How can I share my faith? You know, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can, you know, invite individuals over to your home and things like that. But we're confronted with sometimes these things that happen. And sometimes it's authority, like, hey, listen, don't do this. There's times where people have been open-air preaching. I don't know if you guys that, you know, share, uh, evangelize a lot, if police have ever stopped you. I've been in situations where police are like, listen, you can't do this here. You know, or you're supposed to be in, if you're on a campus, I've seen that happen too, where, like, you have to go to a particular area in order to, like, you know, there's like free speech zones, right? You know, you can share your faith here, but you can't share your faith here. Like, and so some of it is, you know, to keep order and to keep peace. And so sometimes, and there's a, um, you know, sometimes you'll hear of, of police that will do that. Uh, will say, listen, you can't share your faith and uh, you can't give out tracts. You can't do these things. And so that is the same thing is that, um, that these guys are saying, like, you just can't do this. Peter was like, <laughs> Peter said, I, I can't not just share my faith, right? You know, maybe if it was an example of like, don't do it here in the temple or don't do it in a particular area. But they're like, listen, you just can't talk about Jesus at all. And he's like, he's like uh, Peter and John answered. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, right? Jesus commanded them before he left, you be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Like, that is my command to you. And so they're like, listen, we, we have a higher judge, a higher authority, whom we speak to. We're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to chapter 5. Um, that. And so we are to do the same. It's reminiscent, it's kind of, you know, as we talk about the, uh, the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, any of you guys see the movie Luther? Uh, or any, I guess I know there's several movies, Luther, but like, I don't know, I always get chills when Luther's standing there at the Diet of, of Worms, and uh, he's told to recant, right? The church is like, you know, I know you said some things, and you want to make the church better, but you can't talk like that, right? Because people are getting upset, and it's actually, we're trying to raise money to build this big cathedral, and so we're selling these indulgences, and you're kind of putting a damper on those things. And, he, and so they're like, well, you just need to take back everything you've said, and he's like, you know, so he, he kind of thinks. And so here's, here's the quote uh, that happened. There's a couple words that were, ended, that were added to, to that historically. Um, but this is, this is how he had, he had said it, according to those that were there. He says, Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reasons, for I can, by evident reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves. Again, like this is the Holy Roman Empire standing before those that are in charge, who, have, who has power over you know, his life. Uh, they, they, they often killed people that went against them. He says that they have erred and contradicted themselves. He says, I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and I will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. And he's like, you know, it's like eerily similar, right? You know, Luther knew the scriptures, and he's like, you know, if you want me to go against God's word and what he's commanded me, like you judge whether that is safe. He's like, I can't go against that, so I place that judgment in your hands. And the same thing, the church was like, Kind of putting us in a bind here. <laughs> it's now us against God's word, um, which is all a lot of times the, the 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 contradiction where people in authority. And so, how can a person refute what you and everyone else has witnessed? How can you know? How can they tell you? I, I don't want you to talk about what you've seen or what you've heard. Um, and Peter's like, we can't do that, right? We we can't do that. I can't just say like erase the last three and a half years of my life and just say, like, it never happened. It did happen, and it, I want to make sure everyone knows it happened because it can change their lives forever. And so they try one last test tactic, tactic is fighting the gospel. Verse uh, 21, when they had further threatened them, so we see again, they, like, threatened them some more, like, listen, you better not, you know, or we'll, you know, punish you. I don't know. We don't know what the threats were. But they, when they further threatened them, because obviously they didn't feel like John and Peter had gotten the message, then they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. They knew, like, you know, when Peter and John walks out of the, this, the, where they met in the temple, it's going to be like, well, how did it go, right? And, and if the people, right, already stirred up, you know, again, some hearing their message, uh, again, the, the leadership is like, we just want this to kind of go away. We'll see that again in uh, another chapter. He says uh, uh, that um, he says because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than forty years old. What does it mean? That why is it? Why? Why do you think Luke added that little piece in that he was more than forty years old? 
because he was more than 40 years old. Is that the magic number? <laughs> For 40 years they've been seeing him. So again, this was not like a, uh, something that was, you know... Like, he'd been hurt for a couple years, and maybe now, like, this is, like, something, again, irrefutable. And that this man is walking out with them, right? That, again, they had seen for years. It was just their habit. They always saw him. Again, they saw him looking down at him, and now they're able to see him eye to eye. And so, uh, so they told them to silence them and threaten them. That further harm would come to them if they continued to preach the message. And so that is kind of where we leave it now. We'll see kind of where, where things turn uh, and how things, um, how things move. But this is the first time that we've seen kind of, you know, pushing back against the gospel. And the Holy Spirit has given Peter and John boldness uh, to continue to preach and do what Jesus had, uh, had asked them to do. So we can look at this passage in Acts and say, like, listen, this is just something that, you know, the things that we see, the news stories that we hear, you know, I heard of a news story recently about, you know, like a cross that is, um, I think it's in Maryland that was dedicated to soldiers. Uh, but it comes to a thing of like what that cross symbolizes um, that is coming under attack, you know, that there is secular groups that are saying like, I know it was a war memorial for 49 people who died in World War II, but we really just want it gone because when we see the cross, we think of Christ. We just don't want that. And so it becomes a huge thing um, that, that there is um, uh, antagonistic reactions to uh, the gospel, and that there, is, there are those that are purposely trying to erase vestiges of Christianity in this, in this country, that we see it um, you know, in headlines, and we know it, people we talk to, family members, things like that. Hopefully we can come to these scriptures and be emboldened. Uh, it may not go as Peter and John's story went, but God definitely was using him at that time. But we can at least have encouragement in the fact that, listen, we know that our lives have been affected and changed by Jesus Christ. We just want you to know that as well. And Jesus says, you know what, that's okay, because that's the command that I've given you. So do it um, in the time and the opportunities that I've given, and just be faithful. Any questions? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you were saying about news and all. Um, do, you th- um, do you think like it's going to keep getting more and more? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking. Yes. Like, as far as like on the with the with far like as far as like faith and all all that because it's already you see it as far as like church and like far as pressure and one thing I was thinking maybe stuff they might start putting could maybe consider maybe a law or or they might say like threatening stuff like in the future is this a possibility are you talking about here in America yeah I mean because you see stuff in um throughout the country like it's already like for instance in schools they don't they're limited they don't allow prayer mm-hmm. to, uh, like in the pledge of allegiance the ten commandments so wouldn't that you know like it makes you wonder 
Yeah, and you know, our eyes we, we step into things with our eyes wide open that maybe soon, may still be far off, but we understand how the culture changes and shifts and but it's no nothing new, right? The Holy Roman Empire was uh, you know, the Jews were against it and then later we'd find out that the Romans would be against it in church history and then everyone accepts it at some point in church history and then people are against it again. And so it ebbs and flows, but um, each thing whether it's accepted or rejected uh, brings new opportunities to be able to share what true faith is. And as a church, we try to stand behind God's word and continue to proclaim it and not water it down, you know, uh, and try to try to let people know that the whole package of what it means to follow Jesus, the conviction and the hope that goes along with it. So, any other comments? That's good. Yeah, I think it was it was an appointment. It was different different groups, uh, but I'm not exactly sure. So um, for that, but it was like some sort of appointment. I, I think you had it, you know, for for life um, in that thing. Uh, how you got on the 71? Uh, it was made up, I know, of different different groups, but I don't know if certain groups had like a certain number um, or how that how that was made. Something to research. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. So it was the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes were the three groups. Exactly, yeah. And so the Essenes, um, what happened, and you were also, you kind of made reference to um, how they kind of started to pollute the high priest position, mm-hmm. kind of put people in there that weren't supposed to be in there, and, and it was kind of getting polluted. Well, the what they told us um, about the Essene group that broke off, that actually were the group that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's why they broke off, because they were so disgusted with how everything was going, and that that high priest position was getting polluted and people that were going in, being in that position that weren't supposed to be by the correct line. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to keep, and they kind of called themselves a little bit like the lights or whatever. It was interesting. Yeah. And so they, they went to the, the caves at Qumran yeah. and they formed this community, almost like a monastic community. And so that, and they wrote the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so what's really interesting was, um, there's a lot of interesting things, but one of the interesting things was that they, um, when those were found, it was about the time that Israel became a nation again, 1948. It was found in 47. Mm-hmm. But and anyway, there was some stuff around that. But what was really neat was um, before they found those scrolls, which represented every book of the Old Testament except for Esther, every book of the Old Testament was represented in those scrolls because um, there were all these different containers that had scrolls in it. And so um, they... Um, okay, so they... So it was really interesting because before that, the the most recent, and they were they were copying the scriptures and things. That mm-hmm. was their job. That's what they did there. And so, um, so before that time, the closest um, thing that we had was a thousand years after it was you know the Bible after what was written originally. Yeah. A thousand years, but at, when those were found, it brought it. It was like a it was like a thousand years. It brought it a thousand years closer to when they were written. As to when the actual scrolls were written. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's kind of, you know, so it's, it's, you see how God's providence yeah. is working in just that aspect of history because um, one of the things was that the priesthood at that time is even though you're supposed to be in the line of Aaron, uh, that to become a high priest, how that was by, uh, you could buy your, 
your way. So you could yeah. you could purchase. And so even if you, it's interesting as I as I sometimes research some of these things. I go into Jew, Jewish sites, and they talk about that as being a part of their history. And so um, that that was a corrupted time. Just like even if you look in the Catholic, you know, Catholic history of where people bought you know to become a pope, um, that was a, a dark time in that in that. Um, part but the Essenes did break off which is why they're never really mentioned because they weren't a part of like normal life uh the Sadducees and Pharisees were but the Essenes did remove themselves but God used that right to preserve scripture that's, that's so amazing. It's like yeah all that corruption caused them to break off and use that and then even today so today I mean it's you know so we know what those things said mm-hmm. I mean we were so far removed for a thousand years so it's it's probably the most um, grandest archaeological discovery of the 21st century. Yeah. You know, or I guess that would be the 20th century. 20th century, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was 1947. Yeah. But it's just amazing. Yeah, so God can use the things that we don't think, you know. As he always does, right? Yeah. As he always does. So that's good. a good illustration of that. So, all right, well, uh, we'll dismiss. Uh,